Politics as Usual is a Global Partners Governance podcast brought to you by gpgovernance.net. Hello and welcome to episode six of Politics as Usual. This episode is a special edition which we recorded earlier in the year and features me chairing an event for London Recruits. London Recruits is a forthcoming documentary film which tells the story of how the African National Congress recruited young white people, mainly from London during the 1960s and 1970s, to pose as tourists who then travelled to South Africa and distributed propaganda for the ANC at a time when the ANC was probably going through its most difficult period and at its most persecuted by the South African government. The film and the book on which it's based tell the stories of the individuals involved. How they were recruited by the man at the centre of this whole process, a guy called Ronnie Casserills, and how they smuggled illicit propaganda material into South Africa, how they then had to go and physically buy the materials to create what were called bucket bombs, which would fire thousands of leaflets into the air in very public places like train stations, and their efforts to avoid being arrested by the security services in that process. Uh, The event which we recorded was an effort to raise money for the film Um, and I'm very pleased that GPG has been able to make you know some small contributions to the production and development of the film and I was asked to step in at the last minute to chair the session. Um, As you'll hear we spoke to uh, three of the recruits um, during the event, uh, Tom Bell and Ron Bell who are from southeast London, which is uh, my part of the world, and it seems to have an, had an effect on my accent as I was interviewing them, but we'll let that pass, and Mary Chamberlain. Um, their stories uh, on their own are really, really interesting, but they also highlight the different roots and backgrounds of the people involved in the London recruits themselves. And what's also very interesting is that none of the recruits knew any of the other recruits. Nobody knew what anybody else was doing. They were recruited on their own and they thought they were working on their own. It wasn't until they saw stuff in the newspapers realising that the ANC had coordinated several attempts to distribute propaganda on the same day that they realised other people were doing similar things to them and many of them didn't meet until decades later. I would highly recommend uh, both the the book by Ken Keeble um, and also the film, which is due out in early 2018. If you're interested in looking at the trailer, that's at londonrecruits.com. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the discussion. I should point out, because I was obviously drafted in at short notice to help me. So after I, after the first, after the Kickstarter campaign, which I came to about 18 months ago, the first thing I did was went and bought the, the book, which is a you know, fabulous book. Um, and I thought I'd go back to that today just to look at the stories. And you've got about 20 pages of the Bell Brothers, their stories, separate stories about what they, you know, how this all unfolded. And it's fascinating, it's compelling. Then you turn to Mary's and this half a side, which gives me very little to go on. But we'll, we'll work with it, we'll work with it. I mean, going to Tom and Ron first, the, the stories here, it reads like um, two young lads out for, out for larks um, looking for an adventure, Marxist-flavoured adventure and politics. And I, there's a point at which I think in your um, chapter you talk about 
just saying to your mum, right, we're sort of off now. We're going to go and put our heads in the lion's mouth. <laughs> and then just going. And I just wondered if you could fill, it in, fill us in a bit on, on that. Yeah, well, on that, um, I think Ronnie Caswell should be credited, actually, with the markets employed, buy one, get one free. <laughs> uh, because that's what happened. Uh, he bought Ron Bell and he got Tom as well. Because um, Ron was the first to be contacted. And, you know, there's three of us siblings. My young sister, Jackie, isn't here, but uh, Ron and I... Uh, all of us are communists, you know. Um, we were in the Young Communist League. We were very active in, in the struggle, particularly the struggle against apartheid. Don't know how many, and you know, don't know how many times I've been outside the South African embassy on demonstrations. Alongside that, where there were all the other international struggles, particularly called Vietnam, more than any other, uh, apart from the South African issue. Uh, so we, were, you know, we were d deeply involved in, in politics and the struggle. Um, both in, domestically and internationally. And so when this opportunity to uh, contribute in this way came up, we both took it. You know? um, but I hadn't quite realised, I suppose, what that might mean to our mum, mm. because there was only the two sons, um, not one, but both of us were going off um, to, uh, to, to undertake this mission. <coughs> so, uh, but my mum was a communist. I mean, we, we come from a CP sort of family. Um, very active communist was, you know, was my mum, a big influence on I think both of us politically, uh, and so when I told her, I thought, I thought we can't just go off <laughs> because if we don't come back, you know, she won't know what's happened, and she, she, she should she should know where we where we are. I just felt I had to t tell her, uh, so I, but you know, at the age of twenty, you don't quite know how to break these subjects really, do you? I just oh, by the way, mum, Ron and I are off to South Africa. You know, we're going to do some legal work for the ANC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I remember she just said, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, of course, underneath it all, you know, well, I realised when I got back and, you know, and I, and I, I was having a doze after that long journey and I, and I heard my mum come in from, she was a typist working uptown. She came in and I leaned over the, the, the veranda of the, you know, the, the landing rail of our council house looked down, saw the front door, and my mum comes through. I said, hello, mum. And she just tore up those stairs, and she was crying, and, you know, she threw her arms around me, and, you're back, you're back, you're back, you know. I said, That's yeah. why she was crying. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the idea was that, you know, no, but she said, uh, is Ron back, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I said, we're both back. And I thought, what's the fuss about? You know, I'm back. You know, obviously, I mean, this comes across in both of your chapters, <laughs> the fact that you're clearly driven by a sense of political purpose and the desire to do something but you seem to be having a lot of fun as well and what's so there must have been moments of sheer sort of fear and terror i mean the pair of you together did that help the fact that you could and this comes out in the book in its entirety is that you couldn't talk to anybody about this about any of this at all which did i mean did it help that you were together well it helped me um, <laughs> i could run and leave him behind <laughs> Yes, well, we, when I when I was when I was approached and I, and I, to, to take on this mission, and then introduced to Ronnie, and during the course of our discussions, Ronnie said, Do you, "It's really helped if you could go in a pair, because um, then you could do a lot more things out, out there than just putting down a couple of, of leaflet bombs." He said, "Do you know anybody else, somebody you can really, really trust?" 
And I thought, well, yeah. The person you asked couldn't make it, so I feel it instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so I'm going to spend a lot of time. And so I approached Tom. I think it was at a party. Yep. Got it. He had plenty of drink down him and I asked him. And um, he agreed. And that was it. And I said, Tony, I've got somebody. And off we went. I, I, see, I was married with two children, young children. And I don't think, it's a long time ago and things are a bit blurred, but I don't think I told my, I'm sure I did tell my wife what I was going to be doing. So I was going out there to do some work. Yeah. Didn't tell her. Were you, how much did you know before you agreed to do this? How much were you told about what you were going to be doing? Everything, we had to train you. But, but, but the agreement itself, you had to, I'm assuming, and this again comes out of the book, that you know, your sort of approach, would you like to support the, the struggle? But you're not told exactly it was, what, it wasn't, what were you? It wasn't quite like that. We were singled out, and I think probably all of your groups was the same. We were actually singled out. Was, um, somebody was scared of flying. You, know, mm. you, had to, and so you had to, the right temperament, I guess. Somebody was stupid enough to do it. <laughs> and um, so, so I wasn't in that. Then the course I was fell on me to somebody that I thought would be suitable. And I thought it was Tom Wood, and it, it worked out. Judgments was correct, I guess. And, and when you, I mean, one of the things that which again comes out from your chapters is just the, the <coughs> almost the mundane practicalities of having to go and buy stuff. I mean, we haven't actually explained what you did when you were there. You've just alluded to it, but perhaps we should explain that. That was well. First of all, going to buy stuff was almost. You know, in some ways, it was fun, wasn't it? We was putting on Irish accents and all different things, so we couldn't be traced. <laughs> I'd like to buy that there to set reporter. It's got a diabolical Irish accent. Yeah. So, you should explain what were you actually buying and why? Okay, bargain, right. We, we, the, I mean, I, first of all, to answer the first point, I think they asked us why they asked Ron and I, I think, I don't know, in a way. It's, it, but, we were committed, we, that's the first point, we were yeah. committed communists, and the, our commitment, I think, was not going to be questioned by anybody, so that was the first requirement, uh, and fairly, fairly fair certainty that we would say yes uh, to the question, will you go? Um, and we knew that it was, I think, uh, Ron was first approach, and I think the, uh, it was obvious if you're going to go to South Africa, it wasn't to do the safari, it was <coughs> serious stuff, and so it was, whatever we did was going to be pretty dangerous. So yeah, we did the safari afterwards. <laughs> so uh, and then um, yeah. So but then uh, when it, when it came to it, the uh, what Ronnie Casuals explained was um, right. Well, this is going to involve very uh, dangerous um, work. Uh, you'll be setting off devices called leaflet bombs. The idea is that they blow leaflets up in the air, so that the the, the black population can pick them up, take them back to townships, that sort of thing. Um, and also there are uh, loudspeaker um, devices where you convert a common old tape record, cassette record. Do you remember those clunky things? No, some of you won't. But, um, you know, you push the buttons and the cassette goes. Uh, but you've got to convert this into a blasting out broadcast. Uh, and I'll show you how you do it. You know? And uh, I remember Ron saying, what if we get caught? And uh, he said, you're on your own. He said, you'll get, you'll get tortured. Um, but you're on your own. And being him, you know, ah, oh, we won't get caught, you know. So, of course, I went, oh, no, we won't get caught. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we, that, that's the way it, it worked. So that once we'd agreed to the mission and we had a, an idea what it involved and what the shape of it was, we then underwent the training, as Ron said, where Ronnie Casuals showed us exactly what to do, 
technically how to make the, the, the leaflet bombs, how to set up the broadcasts, um, how to go about to putting them down. I remember walking down the street after we'd finished one session. He used to take us through the, the Fitzrovia maze, you know, and you walk around. I'm quite sure why around he was doing this. <clears throat> yeah, not far from here. Around, 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 <clears throat> talking away to us. By which time we went into a building, we didn't have a clue where we were. You know, we couldn't, no one could, couldn't retrace our steps. And I've realised since it was deliberate. Larry Tom was a different route, wasn't it? Yeah, always some other way. And then and we go back some other way until we finally realised where we were. And um, I mean, I'm a bit older now, I know my way around there, but then I hardly knew it, you know. And, um, and one, once he walked along, he had his carry bag next to him and he stopped and he put it down, he tied up his boot lace. And we walked on and he said, about four or five yards further on, he said, do you notice any difference? No, he said, well, the carry bag's still back down there. And he put it down, done up his boot lace and walked off. Um, and then I remember him telling us things about if, to check that you're being followed, stop yeah. to look as though you're in a shop window, see if there's anyone behind you, do a sudden turn, see if they follow you. Know, so little tips like that. Um, that was part of the training as well. Mary, we should bring you in as well, because your experience yeah. was quite different. In, in terms of what you were, the way that you did it and what, what you were there to do. Yes, well, um, <clears throat> I and my then boyfriend, and, and our recruitment was slightly different as well, because although we were both members of the Communist Party, um, it was an old university friend of my husband Carey's called Kath Levine, as she then was, who was also one of the London recruits. And she basically pulled Carey in and introduced us to Ronnie Casrills, or introduced him, and I then got to meet Ronnie. And um, he again asked us if we would um, help the course. We didn't know at the time what we would be required to do, but then um, it was hinted that, I mean, I think we probably would have got married anyway, but certainly it was expedited. <laughs> Uh, for the sake of the AFC. What do you do for the revolution? Eh? <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, so we were married, and then he said, well, he wants us to emigrate to South Africa. So um, it was all set up. We uh, were emigrating with our household effects in 22 of those old wooden tea chests, if you remember those. And... Um, we sailed out and we docked in Cape Town and we put the stuff in the bonded warehouse as we were told. Well, we then went and bought, a, or not bought, uh, rented a flat. Um, and then we went to collect our stuff from the bonded warehouse. And the customs officer, I remember, was very overweight. He was very florid and very, very myopic. He had those very thick, kind of pebble glasses and Kerry and I went there and our 22 packing cases were stacked three deep and on every single one there was a line of nails about four inches from the bottom mm -hmm. which you know you had to be blind not to see it and of course in that false bottom we were bringing in uh, 5,000 copies of a comic called Simon and Jane. I've got the copy of the front yes, cover there. This was 1972, March 72. Um, and the story of Simon and Jane was a very simple love story of a couple who uh, were, were married, 
but forced apart by apartheid and ended up with Simon um, joining the MK and learning how to make a Molotov cocktail, how to make a petrol bomb, how to fire a gun, uh, courtesy, of course, of the back pages of the story of Simon and Jane. And then there were also 2,000 copies of A History of the South African Communist Party, and the SACP, of course, worked very closely with the ANC. Um, so, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, this was not innocent literature that we were taking in. But the, the customs officer was colorblind as well as literally blind, and of course he just saw a white couple. He did try and interrogate us, and he did say, you know, what have you got in the suitcases? And both of us went completely blank and said, well, pillows. Which <laughs> 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 is absolutely true, because of course books, you know, are very heavy, so we had to pack the suitcases with very lightweight stuff, so the plastic calendars, and that was all we could think of until eventually, you know, I said, but we're, we're emigrating. And she said, oh, why didn't you say so? And just stamped the papers and we were through. Um, and then we had to buy, of course, 7,000 stamps, 7,000 envelopes, not at the same time, not from the same place. We had to, you know, take our time so we didn't arouse suspicion. And then we had to rip open the suitcases. And of course, the apartment wall seemed to be paper thin, so we were terrified that you know, the noise would kind of alert the neighbours. And then we had to stuff them all and address them and post them. So, you know, all of this took its time, but that's what we did. It was a, a, a massive <coughs> mail drop, if you like. Um, and then as soon as it was done, we hot-footed out of there as fast as we could. And how long were you in South Africa for? Do you know, I can't remember. <laughs> I, I mean... <coughs> You know, certain things, and I, I think this is partly to do with having to not talk about it, really. I mean, partly that, and partly, I think, as well, even though I wasn't consciously terrified, apart from, you know, certain moments when things happened and, you know, you thought, well, you realised it was a fairly narrow escape. Um, I, I think, you know, I think we've kind of, it, we've suppressed it, really, but it must have been. It must have been about four or five weeks. I know that the, the journey there on the ship took two weeks. And my brothers say that we were away for about six or seven weeks. So it must have been that sort of, that length of time. But we had to do it slowly. I mean, because, uh, well, you know, 7,000 mail, you know, 7,000 booklets take time to pack up and mail out. And so I mean, what's striking about the book is in almost the matter-of-fact way a lot of this is described, about we did this and then we did this, and the vanity <laughs> of having to buy cassette players and buckets mm. and when it gets stamps. But there must have been, as you've just alluded to, moments of just sheer terror. I mean, were there points where you genuinely thought you were going to get caught? Because as you said, you know, Ronnie said, that's it, you're in the room at that point. There were, there were three points. I mean, one was, first of all, in the customs. Um, just seeing those nails and I thought we'd done for. A second point um, was when we, we were posting stuff and we would take, we would pack a bag full of envelopes to be posted and put them in the boot of the car. And I was, um, and then Kerry would drive and I would post and I was coming down with the bag and Kerry was you know, in the flat 
did, what he was doing was coming down a bit later, but I was on ahead and I went into the lift and it stopped at the floor below and two policemen came in. And I was then convinced that somebody had tipped the neighbor, you know, had the neighbor had tipped them off that we were doing, you know, suspicious activities. And they were looked at my bag and they said, are you going away? And I said, yes. And I kind of said, we were visitors to the country and what a lovely country it was. And, you know, we were going exploring and so on and so on. And then the lift stopped at the ground floor and I went to lift it up. And he said, no, man, allow me. And he took this bag. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine. Um, and Very he said, yeah. where's your car? You know, and I went over to the car and I looked at the boot and he heaved it into the boot and he did say, you know, I don't, I can't understand what you women have in your suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the second moment. And the final moment, which I think was possibly the most serious, was when we were flying back. And we, in those days, you couldn't go direct from Cape Town. And you had to stop in Johannesburg. And as the flight from Cape Town taxied in the runway in Johannesburg, all these police cars came and surrounded the plane. And we were convinced somehow that, you know, we'd been rumbled and they came to get us. And so we said, well, we won't go off together. Um, so we went off separately try to behave as normal as possible. We got off. I mean, I, you know, what they were doing there, I have no idea. It may have been something altogether different, but because we felt guilty, we were sure that we were. You could know, see you looking guilty. It was yeah. us they were looking and, and you guys, there must have been points at which you were very scared. Because, well, I mean, the, the, we should explain that obviously the, the bucket bombs went off and yeah. the cassette players, and then you subsequently Four of the five went off the bucket bombs and both loudspeaker broadcast world. But it was only at that point you realised they'd gone off in other cities as well at the same no, time. Not until next day. Yeah. yeah. The two, two times when I, I was... broke out into a bit of a sweat, I suppose. The first time was, as Mary said, just to go through Joburg. And as I, I took fishing rods, I thought I'm going to have a, enjoy this place. So I took my fishing rods, bags with me as well. And we went through, and that's just went through. He said, he said hey, excuse me. And I turned around and said, yes. He said, could I see what you've got in your bag, please? I thought, oh no, he's talking about my case. And, it, and I went up and said, no, this bag. So I took it, there was fishing rods in there. He said, we have to be careful because some people could be bringing guns, you see. <laughs> and, uh, I thought, oh no, no, I'm just going to do some fishing. And that was the, and we walked around. Oh, that's good. Second time was when I was actually chaining uh, a speech, one of the speeches to some railings. They were in wicker baskets. We bought hamper baskets to make it look, you know, like well, a, so it's like a difficult, all chained up, really yeah. difficult to smash them open. Mm. We put, Danger high explosives, don't touch on them. And chained them to this fence. And as I was chained up, Tom was the lookout. Tom said, There's a copper coming, there's a copper coming. And I didn't know what to do. I shit on stick. I didn't really know what to do. And um, I thought, No, if I run, it's obvious, the game's up. So I just carried on. And he, and he just walked on, and Tom explained it. He said he looked he was like a big boy scout, wasn't he? Yeah. With his uh, short trousers and. Waving his back. Great big just walked past as I was chaining it up and walked off. And that was, I've never been that so, was really so relieved to be white in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those, 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 those two, I think. Yeah, that's really it. It's another time where we weren't. Oh, wait, you and you opened your mouth in that party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the start of a good story. Yeah. <laughs> it was, 
the dual hotel? I suppose no, but no, <laughs> when it was when they when we asked uh, Cutthroat in the hotel to we couldn't read the paper, it was African effort cards. She said, What's all this? Because we obviously it was all about us on the front page. Cutthroat. Oh. That's what we called this. She said she was gonna cut uh, Tom told about it. But, uh, <laughs> so she said, uh, she said, Oh, she said, uh, this is uh, this is what they what, what's happened at the ANC. I've done all this in uh, in Cape Town, very, very good. And um, she said, What's all it says? Oh, it says that uh, it must be whites doing this. And we thought, Oh, it's not okay. She said, Because uh, they say black people wouldn't have the initiative to be able to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the paper next day, it said, yeah. There's a headline, Whites Suspected. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. we thought, Oh, God. And we started to read it. He said, Whites, the, the, the police build it must be whites because blacks haven't got the intelligence to do this. Yeah. So we thought, well, if that's their reasoning, you know. Well, if they hadn't been asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so that, that was a, a, a bit of then. Um, but we called her Cutthroat, by the way, because we, she was the concierge, I think. Was she, well, I, I thought it, but she, was, she was black and she was, you know, quite uh, vociferous in her hatred of the regime. And we used to ask her innocently questions. Oh, well, what's this doing? What does that do? And she would answer. And, and then one day she said... Uh, when it comes, the moment comes when they cut with their throats. We said, cut with their throats. So we the white people, white, white population. population. <laughs> and I remember him saying, oh, us, would you, we're white, you know, we don't, we don't really go along with the, or this part type thing that you're telling us about, you know. Would you cut our throats? And she said, no. no. And she said, I'll get someone else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the party? Yeah, the party, yeah. We're, we, met, we met a Rhodesian guy called John. He got, so he, I'll take you to it. Yeah, he bought, to he a bought our story about being two young businessmen so much that he really wanted to go to business with us. <laughs> but he took us to this party. You know, of white, most expats uh, they were. And they, were <coughs> they were so reactionary. Now, those of you who don't remember the, the 60s, um, Going into the 70s, in the London docks, there was a leader called Jack Dash, a communist, who was a fiery, militant union leader, and he was hated by the press. And every day there'd be some story about what an ogre he was, how he ate babies for you know breakfast and stuff like that. Sounds and, familiar. Yeah, sounds familiar, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, not much has changed. And um, somehow the conversation, John had introduced us as two brilliant young businessmen who were going to sort of going to make a load of money and how we should listen to us. We'd really done a good act of bullshit. <clears throat> and uh, you know, how they should listen to us for advice. And, so and we'd have a few drinks, yeah. <laughs> and somehow the conversation got to Jack Dash. And someone said, well, I'm sorry, Jane. And I, I heard him say, Jack Dash was a good bloke. Jack Dash is doing a good now, job. He's doing a good job, he's doing a good job, Jack sorry. Jack doing a good job. That's good. Everything went silent. Yeah, you take it from there, yeah. Everyone turned around and looked at me, and this, this blonde said, you won't get very far in this country, you should have less exact thing. You won't get very far in this country, that's the way you're thinking. Uh, uh, was just staring I was at just me. wanting the floor and to I open said, up. Sort of. You've got to understand, Jack Dash is doing a good job for those people that have elected him. We well, may not think so, but he's doing the job he's elected to do. So we have to listen, we have to understand the way he's operating. Because you can't beat the enemy unless you know the way they're feet, way they're at, operating, what job doing. And suddenly they went, oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> That's so 
So that was a bit of a brush with, uh, yeah, so those are the times I think when... But most, see, most of the time, I think when you, we're all young, and I think when you're young, you, you're in, you, think, you think you're invincible in, in many ways. You never think, you don't think you're... Mm. I honestly, oh, if I thought I was going to get caught, I don't suppose I would have gone. Um, but I didn't think I was going to get caught. And so, so, that, so that was that. And I think that is why I kind of question how it is what Peter says we're brave. I question that a little bit because I think you're really brave if you think you're gonna get, you might get caught. And I only really didn't think I was going to get caught. Perhaps I was like, that's how stupid I was, I guess. Um, no, I didn't think. You didn't think, did you? I'd get caught for no. one minute. No, so, so in you a way... You done it. Exactly, exactly. Now, so, of course, I break so, up a cold sweat at night. <laughs> so I don't know how that being brave really does sit. You can look back up now and say, it, perhaps it was bravery in full army, maybe. But to me, it was, as you said, we were, uh, I enjoyed my stay in South mm. Africa. You, get, you very much get that sense of Gordon is looming, and we've massively run over, and we could keep talking for another hour. But I think it's a highlight of some of the content of the film, actually, and how how compelling. Just say one point about Mary's yeah. contribution, because you know, I think what she did was enormous and significant. And there's a reason why it's so short in the book, is because from the moment when the idea was first conceived to get the recruits together, none of us knew each other. It'd been a total secret. No one was could say a word about it. You see. Um, and then all of a sudden we got the permission, as it were, from Ronnie Casualfree to, to open up. So then we started to try and find recruits to trace them. Mm. And we got so far before we could actually go to, to the book to get the book ready. And I believe it was on the eve of publication, was it, when we discovered yeah. Mary. Uh, and we said, quick, do something. You know, she, she just knocked out that quick paragraph of this marvellous story. I mean, it's, it's yeah, just... Yeah, it, Unfortunately, you know, it just doesn't do it justice, that one <coughs> paragraph. But we got something in, and the next day it went to press. So um, that, that's why it's such a brief story. Yeah. Nothing to do with yeah. the kind of contribution that Mary made. What she did was, was amazing. Uh, People think <coughs> I was very modest. At the time, yes, I thought, I think all of us probably did think, that what we did <coughs> wasn't so significant as it now appears to be. And whereas... I thought we was probably an irritant rash on uh, on the on the apartheid regime out there. It now appears that we was more like a outbreak of smallpox, and uh, and so I think it's it's now coming out how significant it was. But at the time, it was I didn't think it was that significant as it, yeah. it is now evolved. Well, thank you. I, I know we've got to move on. I'd love to. Get, I mean, there are other questions I'd love to ask, but I think we have to move on. But thank you very much. I'd like Hope you enjoyed that. Um, hopefully, that gave you a small taste uh, of what the book and the film are like. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I would highly recommend both. The book called London Recruits, edited by Ken Keeble, is available at Amazon and all sorts of other places if you want to go and read that. And that's a whole series of chapters for the different stories of the people involved. And the film, which we hope will be out in early 2018, if you want to look at the trailer, that's at londonrecruits.com. And if you can support the film in its development and production, I'm sure the guys behind it would be very, very grateful. Uh, we at the Politics as Usual podcast are going to take a break for the next 
six to eight weeks while we recharge our batteries, get a bit of holiday and record some more interviews. But we'll be back with you in the autumn. Until then, bye for now. Politics as Usual is brought to you by gpgovernance.net. Remember to subscribe, rate or review online.